Support for Kansas City Today comes from Cleveland University, Kansas City. From its roots as a chiropractic college to new degree programs in health sciences, CUKC is educating healthcare professionals focused on next-level health. Learn more at cleveland.edu slash impact. Support also comes from Grandma's Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Thursday, February 10th. Coming up, teachers at Kansas City Public Schools are consolidating classes and skipping planning periods as they try to keep kids in the classroom during one of the worst parts of the pandemic. Now they're asking for all hands on deck. Anybody that has a teaching certificate is in these classrooms filling the vacancies and doing the work. No one should be above being with our children. We'll hear more from teachers and administrators who are grappling with staffing shortages. Plus, an investigation into a property law that puts Midwestern homeowners at risk of having their homes sold without their knowledge or permission. But first, some headlines. The Kansas House of Representatives joined the state Senate in overriding Democratic Governor Laura Kelly's veto of a congressional redistricting map yesterday. Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service reports from Topeka. The outcome was in doubt for a little while, but in the end, Republicans rounded up the votes they needed to override the governor's veto of a map that she said unfairly divides minority voters. Democratic Representative Tom Burroughs said the map was gerrymandered to weaken Democratic Congresswoman Sharice David's hold on the Kansas City area district she now represents, and to isolate the Democratic stronghold of Lawrence in the sprawling Republican district that covers western Kansas. Gerrymander is one thing. Political spite is another. Republicans who voted almost in lockstep insist the map is a fair attempt to equalize the population of the state's four congressional districts. But Mark Ellis, a Democratic lawyer involved in redistricting challenges across the country, says a lawsuit is coming. Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas made his annual State of the City speech yesterday. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal reports. The police department will receive an additional $42 million. That's on top of the state-mandated 20% of the general fund the city must allocate to the department. The extra money will support community policing and prevention services. Lucas said the city's proposed budget also includes pay raises for city employees, increased funding to address dangerous buildings, and more money for rent and utility assistance. The budget will be presented to the city council on Thursday. A Kansas lawmaker is once again backing a measure that would ban transgender girls and women from women's sports at public schools and colleges. Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service reports. Representative Renee Erickson introduced a similar measure last year, the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. Lawmakers passed that bill, but Governor Laura Kelly vetoed it, saying it would send a message that Kansas is not welcoming to all children and their families. The legislature fell one vote shy of overriding the veto, So Erickson, a Wichita Republican, is trying again. Her measure would require women's sports teams to allow only biological females to play. Erickson introduced the bill in the Senate Education Committee. It must be accepted by the full Senate to move forward. Kansas City public schools have managed to keep their doors open, even as several local school districts have had to temporarily close amid widespread cases of COVID-19. Now, teachers are asking for all hands on deck as they consolidate classes and skip planning periods to keep kids in the classroom. KCUR's Jody Fortino has more from teachers grappling with another semester marked by the pandemic. 
It's a Friday morning at Truist Elementary School, and students are beginning to pour into class. Third grade teacher David Price tells them to get seated and work on their creative writing assignment. Price said this is his favorite part of class, but he and other teachers at Kansas City Public Schools say the first few weeks back in the classroom have been hectic, stressful, and even overwhelming. Schools in the Kansas City area returned from winter break last month amid a COVID-19 surge driven by the highly contagious Omicron variant. Since then, a wave of COVID-related absences has forced several local school districts to close their doors as they grapple with massive staffing shortages. Kansas City schools has managed to stay open, but Price says they're still facing challenges caused by the widespread virus. So getting a kind of a routine going, uh, coming back from a long break has been very difficult just because there's been so many people gone. According to the school district's dashboard, 191 positive COVID cases were reported among students and staff the week ending February 2nd. To make ends meet, teachers say they are consolidating classrooms and teaching other classes during their planning time. But Sandra Days, a fourth grade teacher at African-Centered Preparatory Academy Lower Campus, said filling in for other teachers interrupts her own class time. You want to help because we're, we're all in this together and we have to support each other. But the lack of subs has been, that's been really hard. It really has been. Jennifer Gwinner, who teaches seventh and eighth graders at Northeast Middle School, said it can be difficult for students when their schedules suddenly shift. For example, she says sometimes a math class without a teacher will end up in her room. I'm not a lot of support to them. I can help them and encourage them to, you know, get work done. But can I teach them math? Mm, not so much. In November, the school district doubled the amount it pays teachers for substituting for their colleagues or taking on additional students. But Kansas City Federation of Teachers President Jason Roberts says that despite the extra pay, it can still be draining to miss that plan time. He says work that could have been done at school now has to be done at home, further throwing off teachers' work-life balance. To take that load off of teachers, he said he'd like to see all hands on deck. What I think we need to see are more people coming out of Board of Education building across the country. This is not just a city issue. People coming out of board buildings and going into these classrooms. Anybody that has a teaching certificate is in these classrooms filling the vacancies and doing the work. No one should be above being with our children. District officials say they are trying to do just that by having central office employees fill in some of the gaps by taking a day each month to focus on being present in schools. In the last two months, more than 100 central office staff spent at least one day helping out in schools. Certified staff are able to step in as substitute teachers, but non-certified staff are also doing what they can to take on extra work. Ellie Moxley is a district PR coordinator and a former KCUR education reporter. She said that employees like her are helping by doing things like supervising lunch and the bus line and handing out hand sanitizers and disposable masks. It sounds small, but I know that each of those tasks really adds up in the days of our people that are actually in our buildings all the time doing the work. Still, Moxley says the district has not always been able to get subs when needed. KCPS has one building substitute employed at each school but Moxley noted they could only fill in for one teacher. And with 35 schools across the district, even the extra help from the central office is spread thin. Still, middle school teacher Gwenner said the help from the district is giving educators the extra boost they need. Some relief may be coming as COVID cases begin to trend downwards, but they're still higher than they have been throughout the pandemic. Until that relief comes, Gwenner said she's looking forward to the weekend and her days off more so than in previous years. Knowing that spring break is coming, you know, I can actually start a calendar out the rest of the semester, the rest of the school year today of what everything is. I got this long until spring break. I've got this long till the end of the year. 
as far as working during summer school, Gwyner said she's not ready to talk about that just yet. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Jody Fortino. For one homeowner in Iowa, an unfamiliar property law allowed someone to claim the title to her house without her knowledge. The law is called quiet title, and there are similar laws across the Midwest, including in Kansas and Missouri. Cassidy Arena reports for the Midwest Newsroom, those familiar with the law are concerned it doesn't have protections in place for non-English speakers. About two years ago, Maria Kendall was perusing homes for sale on the website Zillow, She wanted a new home for her boyfriend, Larry Colton, and the kids they foster in the place she called home, Marshalltown. As Maria swiped through real estate, she was surprised to see a familiar house. It was her mom's house. So I contact my sister, who is uh, my mother's living with, and I asked her when my mother's house went for sale. She said, my mom's house is not for sale. What are you talking about? Maria's mother, Natalia Esteban, had bought the house in 2001. She moved away temporarily in 2018, but returned to Iowa every summer. The home was filled with memories and knickknacks from her life in Mexico. Maria says all of that was thrown out when Natalia's ownership of the house was switched over to someone else, someone they didn't even know, through what's called a quiet title petition. It was very frustrating, like Larry said, scary, thinking that she was going to lose the only thing that she has left. A quiet title petition is a relatively common way to switch over a house's title. It's mostly used in boundary disputes or when a homeowner dies. For the title to switch over, the person filing the petition must prove they have an interest in the property. The problem is, the law doesn't define exactly what that interest has to look like. And it just seems like there is something nefarious going on. That's Natalie Linner. She's a law professor at Drake University. Quiet title requires a petitioner to notify the most recent owner of the house. If the owner can't be found, the petitioner has to publish a public notice, like in a newspaper. Someone named Catherine Gooding petitioned for Natalia's house, claiming the house was abandoned and that Gooding had been paying taxes on it. She published her notice in the Marshalltown Times-Republican. Since Natalia wasn't in Iowa at the time, nor does she speak English, she missed the court hearing, which meant Gooding won the case by default. Here's law professor Natalie Lenner again. And that is the way that I think the law could be enhanced here, to require a more robust evidentiary showing, to require the return of mail, or, you know, I'm not sure off the top of my head what that would look like, but... We wouldn't um, just allow quiet title actions to be decided on default without a more robust showing. A Midwest newsroom investigation found that Catherine Gooding has acquired more than 40 properties in Marshalltown, about a third of them through quiet title petitions. Gooding and her attorney declined to comment. Some city officials, like Marshalltown Housing Director Michelle Sponheimer, say they worry the recent natural hazards, like the 2018 tornadoes and the derecho, put diverse populations in Marshalltown at risk of potentially predatory practices. Residents have a wide range of language skills, and not all of them read an English-language newspaper, much less the public notice section. You know, you've got a lot of population that has that potential to to be in a position where, you know, they just don't have what they need as resources um, behind them to know, like, oh, this is something that I can fight. Sponheimer says at least three other families have reached out to the city with claims similar to the Estebans. 
Yeah, this is a house right here. Back at the Esteban house, Maria and Larry point out how it has changed since Maria's mother first lost her title. The two went to court for Natalia and proved the house wasn't abandoned, and Natalia won the title back. I think sentimental stuff is worth more than, than money. So for her, it was like she was going more through like, what about the picture for this, this and that? I was like, well, it's nothing you can do, mom. Be grateful that you got your house back. Natalia did eventually decide to sell her Marshalltown house on her own terms. She's decided to live with family in California. For the Midwest Newsroom, I'm Cassidy Arena. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Jody's story on school staffing and Cassidy's story on quiet title laws, visit kcur.org, where you can also find a live stream of Kansas City's NPR station. Tomorrow, we'll hear how some Missouri activists and lawmakers are trying to keep guns out of the hands of people convicted of domestic abuse. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.